This time loop thing. How did you get out of it? Oh, I simply boosted the circuits and broke free. You came back of your own accord? Well, I... Doctor? No. No, I'm afraid not. No, obviously the Time Lords have programmed the TARDIS always to return to Earth. It seems that I'm some kind of a galactic yo-yo. and welcome to Galactic Yo-Yo, the podcast where Doctor Who fans share their unpopular opinions with the world and I have to deal with them. I'm your host, Molly Marsh. I'm just taking all of my um, miscellaneous Coke bottles and cans um, out of my room and into the kitchen to put in the recycling. So I um, I thought I would talk to you while I was doing that. Um, this week on the podcast, well, it wasn't this week, it was a few... Um, it was a couple of weeks ago, right at the start of the month. That's the wrong bin. This is why I shouldn't try multitask. There we go. Um, at the start of the month, I spoke to Talia Franks. They are somebody um, whose writing I came across kind of through uh, being on Twitter. They've written um, a couple of articles recently um, about race in Doctor Who that I found um, enlightening and interesting. Um, and... Talia said that they wanted to kind of um, explore the some of the content of those articles a little bit more on the podcast um, via an unpopular opinion. So we had a conversation about um, the black characters in Doctor Who and why um, Talia feels that um, it's not enough kind of for the show to cast diversely, but you've got to do more and you've got to consider um, the perspectives of these black characters um, when you are writing a show like Doctor Who. Um, otherwise, you can end up in all sort of, sorts of ugly situations. Um, uh, and Talia explains some of those uh, to me in the conversation. It was an enlightening conversation. It was an interesting conversation. I really enjoyed talking to them. Um, I'll put some links to their Nerdist articles in the description. Um, and they have a podcast as well that they are currently developing all about Fan fiction, and that is coming up in March. I think that is all the admin for this week. Um, I hope everyone's all right. I hope everyone's safe. I'm still home alone, um, and the boredom has really um, has really set in now. So if you do have any Galactic Yo-Yo thoughts or anything to share with me, please use that email address um, because I'm more than um, available to answer your emails and. Um, make adjustments to the podcast and take on your suggestions. So um, this is a really good time for that. But anyway, um, without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Talia Franks. Cool. So this is the the podcast starting properly now. That was all just chat that's not going to be released to the public. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, I recorded it anyway. Yes, so. me too. So I can always put bits of it in if I find the candidness um, uh, endearing. 
Um, great. I'm here with um, Tolia Franks, uh, writer, Doctor Who fan. So I, I know about your stuff from that you've written for the, the Nerdist site. No doubt you've written for other sites too. Um, but that's kind of how um, your work came to my attention. Could you tell us a little bit about the, the writing that you've done recently for, for Nerdist and for other places and, and your relationship with Doctor Who? Yeah, so Nerdist is where I've gotten the most exposure in terms of writing about Doctor Who. Um, the majority of my other writing has actually been writing about Harry Potter. Um, and a lot of, so a lot of my writing is in terms of critical fandom, because the thing is, I love Doctor Who and yeah. I it's one of my favorite TV shows and well you, I, you wouldn't be here if that weren't the case yeah right? and I wouldn't <laughs> be here if it wasn't one of my favorite TV shows and you know I think that's a lot of the thing is that because I engage a lot in critical fandom and I really believe that in order to be conscious fans we have to be critical of the mm. things that we love well um, I think that's so, been particularly um true with Harry Potter recently isn't yeah. it yeah yeah that's particularly true of harry potter um as you know someone who is trans and non-binary mm. i feel very strongly that um you know the harry potter series meant a lot to me growing up it was very foundational for me um and so you know i did a lot of writing on my personal website and then also for black girls create mm. um, about a variety of things that I found problematic um, sure. in Harry Potter. Um, and then like through um, black girls create, I uh, in the black girls create community, I um, got to know um, joy as we were talking about who was previously on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And I also got to know, um, Ty Gooden, who has been, who has also writes for Nerdist, um, sure. and writes for Nerdist a, a great deal about Doctor Who, um, and so from there, that was sort of how I got the got the connection to start writing more, not just about Harry Potter, but also about Doctor Who and engaging in more critical fandom about these two franchises, which, you know, I've loved, but who, which have a lot of problematic elements. Yeah, because especially with something like Harry Potter, I mean, it's easy to focus kind of exclusively on J.K. Rowling's recent turfism. But I think there's more to it with Harry Potter, isn't there? There's all sorts of race and gender and, and uh, you know, uh, other kinds of social oh, yeah. justice politics issues in those books that are oh, yeah, important definitely. to talk about. Definitely. My, two of my articles that I wrote for Black Girls Create, one of them is actually about body shaming in Harry Potter. Um, and has it's like a very fattest almost, series yeah, of and books. has yeah. almost nothing to do with race. And mm. another one of my articles is about ableism mm. uh, in Harry Potter, and also um, has to do again um, not with J.K. Rowling's uh, turfiness or her issues with race, uh, mm. because she does have those issues. Um, but like I said, I try to look at my um i try to look at things broadly and look at the ways that things are problematic not just from 
a race perspective, but from multiple perspectives, because like as, you know, I'm queer, I'm non-binary, I'm black, I'm neurodivergent, like I look at these things from all sorts of different perspectives. A hundred percent. Yeah. What, how do you how do you skirt that line then between um, engaging in this important critical fandom work and continuing to be able to enjoy these uh, these shows that you these shows and book series that you love? Yeah. So for me, like I I can't not look at these things with a critical eye anymore. It's you know it's really hard to turn my critical fan brain off a lot of times yeah so when you're, t- I engage, you're telling me right <laughs> <laughs> so when i engage with the original material it's really hard not to watch and be like oh yeah this is really problematic um i definitely am one of those people who's like oh this is a problematic fave um so one of the things that i do is whenever i'm re-watching or rereading, um i like to make little notes in the margins or like write down in my little notebook, I'm like, okay, so like I'm enjoying this for this reason, but it bothers me for this little reason. And so sometimes those turn into articles or blog posts and sometimes it just, you know, soothes my soul to be like, okay, so I'm recognizing Mm. that while I'm enjoying this aspect of the show or the book, I'm also recognizing like it is problematic for these reasons. I also, one of the things that I do is I really embrace fan fiction and writing my own fan fiction and reading other people's fan fiction. Um, I think I mentioned I'm actually going to be starting my own podcast soon, which is all about fan fiction. Oh, fantastic. Um, and, uh, and so it's one of the things that I'm really um, interested in is how fans can recreate works and make them better like one of my most passionate topics with regard to harry potter is i really don't like how jk rowling treated house elves Mm. um Mm. so i have a whole fic called never underestimate a house elf where i just dive right in (laughs) that's great yeah it always Uh, felt with house elves to me that that you know why weren't they the whole plot of, do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Of a book like Goblet of Fire. Why is it this weird side thing? Mm-hmm. I don't know. What about Doctor Who then? Doctor Who's a slightly different different story. Yeah. With that fan, <laughs> I, with that sorry, I, I know that we got like on a Harry Potter no, tangent. No, that's absolutely fine. <laughs> I love tangents. Um, but just because Harry Potter is sort of the vehicle that mm-hmm. like sort of jumped off my writing career and then I pivoted to Doctor Who. So sure. we're talking about that. Um, but Doctor Who, my relationship with Doctor Who started in high school. So I remember I was always kind of a nerd and I remember I was in, uh, in high school, I was in study hall, um, and we had, and it was sort of like a round table of all these different nerds that we got together and like all the, and this was back when Doctor Who was still on Netflix and, Um, All my friends were, like, insisting, like, you really got to watch this show. Like, you can just binge watch it on Netflix. Like, it's great. Um, And so at that point, um, it was right after season five had aired. So it was actually perfect timing. So I finished um, watching the Tenant specials about, like, two days before season five dropped on Netflix. 
so then I could just go in straight and watch season five. Um, so season six was actually the first season that I watched live in, um, in, in 2011. And so that was kind of when like Dr. Who and BBC America was sort of, um, booming in the U S yeah, that feels to me um, like the time that Dr. Who sort of broke America a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was, um, I was like, just, uh, I just started Doctor Who right before all that dropped, um, and I became kind of uh, fanatic about it. I think season um, six is a really good season to watch um, live, though, because it's so there are so many revelations in that season, and so many kind of yeah. the ongoing plot is so um, pervasive. I think that was that was. I remember at the time it was such an exciting season to watch as it was going out. Oh yeah, definitely. And one of the one of the first things that I got into once Doctor Who started coming out, um, and I got really into it was immediately I got into Doctor Who fan fiction and sort of like the Doctor Who more extended universe because I was just super interested in like learning more about it and mm-hmm. just engaging more with um Doctor Who, so I never really engaged with, uh, with like other fans, um, like outside. Like I had like my friends who were really into Doctor Who, and I had, um, like at school, and then I had the, the friends that were, um, like, and I had a few online friends. Uh, but because I was still in high school, it wasn't like I was going to conventions or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, you know, I had like a lot of friends who were in school and then, um, and then I had like a few like online friends who I interacted with, like with fan fiction, but I never really got to go to, um, conventions or anything until, uh, the first one I went to was I got to go to LeakyCon in 2014, um, which was actually a Harry Potter convention, but there was a lot of Doctor Who there. So, like, even though it was a Harry Potter convention, I actually went there and cosplayed as Martha Jones. There must be a lot um, of crossover, though, like, especially within, like, the sort of American fandom world, because it's this kind of... Both Doctor Who and Harry oh, yeah. Potter are this kind of, like, very Britishy kind of Anglophile. Oh, yeah, there was so much crossover between yeah. Harry Potter fans and Doctor Who fans um, in terms of... Uh, in terms of my friends that I made in person and online. Uh, and like I said, I'm very into fan fiction. There's so much Harry Potter, Doctor Who crossover fan fiction. <laughs> it's just kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, like I even, I even write my own Harry Potter, Doctor Who crossover fan fiction. <laughs> I love that. Well, JK Rowling was supposed to um, be in an episode of Doctor Who. That was, that was floated. Um Back in the back in the Russell T Davies days, they wanted her in a Christmas special. Oh yeah, yeah. I never watched the Russell T Davies days live, uh-huh. but also I was just like a kid. Like when Doctor Who first rebooted in two thousand five, I was only nine years old. Yeah, I was a similar age. Yeah, like ten, ten, eleven, maybe. Yeah, ten. Yeah, and like I, like I didn't, I wasn't really interested in watching British television mm. at the time. Um, I don't know that I wasn't really 
I wasn't really like a television kid. I was always very much a bookish kid, which right, is I think right. why I was very attracted to Harry Potter and sure. um, all those other like popular kids' books. Well, also, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but it seems to me that the Russell T. Davies years are more insular than than the Moffat years in that they are... They seem to be about British TV more than more than the Moffat years are. It seems less mm-hmm. transferable. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, you see, so you got into the show around series six, and then you you've kind of stuck with it ever since. Or has it been a bumpy ride for you? Or yeah, I've basically gone? stuck with it ever since. Um, <laughs> season eight was rough. I didn't like season eight very much. Okay. Um, or series eight. I know that. I know they're called series, but oh, I, I know I'm, I'm not good at that either. Yeah, it's um, fine. We're, we're not judging here. <laughs> yeah, so I series eight was rough for me. I watched it, um, and like over time, Peter Capaldi really won me over, mm. um, I'm uh, and and really became my doctor. Um, like I loved season nine, series nine, and series ten until the end, which I'm gonna get to. When we talk about my unpopular opinion, how sure. much I hate the last two episodes of series 10 um, with a burning passion. Um, uh, but I, uh, yeah, but I love, uh, I love Capaldi. I actually got to meet him in person once and he's just like so great. I've only um, ever heard good things about him. Yeah. he He's just the best. Um, yeah, it was actually really funny. I was at um, at a convention in Boston, and there was a line for the meet and greet that was just like ridiculously short because there was about to be a big event with Peter Capaldi, so the meet and greet and signing line was really short. Um, but they were prioritizing people who actually paid for signing. Um, but the meet and greet was free if you just wanted to meet him and not actually get anything signed. Um, and but they were like bumping up people who were paying to paying to get things signed and so they asked if i was paying or if i was just there for the meet and greet and i said oh i'm just there for the meet and greet um because to get things signed it was a hundred dollars in cash and i was like i don't have i don't have any cash on me and so this complete stranger um who's just standing next to me in line was like oh i have a hundred dollars in cash you can just take this and go get your thing signed and i was like what and they were like, yeah, just here. And so this complete stranger whose name I didn't even get because they whisked me to the straight of, to the front of the line so quickly, I didn't even get this person's name. Oh, my God. Um, like, I just, they gave me the cash and then the... the secret then millionaire. The, Jesus. Yeah. Wow. And then the person, like, taking lines just, like, took the cash and then, like, just dragged me to the front of the line so quickly. I just, like, said thank you really quickly and then I got brought to the front of the line and then I got to meet Peter Capaldi and then I went to go say thank you to the person and they had just, like, vanished. Wow. (laughs) I was like... I mean, the the actors must make absolute quids from these things. Like, they must make so much money from conventions. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I imagine it's quite stressful, though. I'm not sure I'd want to stand while hundreds of people lined up to have their photograph taken with me i think i'd find well i mean he was sitting right okay (laughs) this was just a signing we weren't allowed to we weren't allowed to take photos i think i'd find it quite overwhelming oh definitely but he's probably used to it i guess yeah but i I was the same with series eight for ages it was my um 
it was my least favorite season by some measure. And then over the years, I've kind of rewatched it here and there, and I've reevaluated it. And I I, I kind of like it now. Um, looking back, there's still things that that sit weirdly with me, and there's still things I don't like. But it's definitely not my least favorite anymore. I I there's a lot of good stuff in there. I think. Yeah the 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 thing that won me over and made me dislike series eight less is actually I was listening to. Um, the Queer Archive podcast. I don't know if you ever listened to that podcast. Um, I know of it, yeah. Yeah, it's one of my favorite uh, Doctor Who podcasts. And they start uh, with season eight. And their recap of the season actually made me be like, oh, okay, you mm. know, like these episodes, um, not all of them are, are that bad. Um, and so it really made me sort of reframe um, and rethink that uh, that series. I mean, there's a lot of dross in there, but that's true of basically every Doctor Who season. Mm-hmm. Apart from series yeah. one, which you know, yeah, remains untouchable. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm currently rewatching uh, series two because my dad's never seen Doctor Who before, so we're watching Doctor Who together. Oh, I love that! You um, get the vicari- vicarious thrill of watching it with him then. Yeah, yeah. I watched through Doctor Who um, uh, when, it's funny, my mom, I got to watch it through with her uh, when I was in high school because she was always, so I was always watching random episodes out of, like, when I was at home, and so she would, like, catch bits and pieces of random episodes, Um, and so she watched them completely out of order. And then one day, like my senior year of high school, I was like, you know what? We should just watch Doctor Who all the way through. So I like sat her down and made her um, watch it all the way through with me. Um, and so then we like, it was our thing. We watched Doctor Who together. Um, it's such through. a good way of getting to enjoy yeah. it over, you know, an- another time for yourself, you know? Yeah. So she watched. Um, so she watched Doctor Who live with me up until the end of series 10 but then um uh and like i would go home during college and like always make her watch with me um but by the time i was like out of college and um and series uh 11 was airing it was uh like we i haven't gotten a chance to get her caught up on uh the 13th doctor which is a shame because i think she would really like her it's a shame, but it's also kind of cool because it means that at some stage you will, and there'll be loads to yeah. watch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Doctor Who's on HBO Max now, right. okay. But uh, and I don't have HBO Max, so when Doctor Who changed platforms again, I got so mad, and I was mm. like, it keeps hopping platforms, and yes, and I got so mad that I just uh, went and bought all the DVDs. <laughs> I suppose that's one way to get around it, right? I was just like, I was just like fed up with it switching platforms, and I was like, I can't deal with this. They've just taken um, it off UK Netflix, um, but it's all on iPlayer, BBC iPlayer anyway in the UK, so it's not so much of a problem. But I, I think their plan long term in the UK is to move series one to ten over to BritBox, which is like this UK kind of yeah. BBC ITV collaboration streaming service. I think they want it, and all the classic who's on there. So I think that their aim is to put it all on there, but that's just a theory. Yeah, yeah. I, I know about BritBox. I've been debating getting it because I want to watch mm. more classic who. I watched a lot of, um, well, not a lot. Well, I've watched a few episodes of classic who back when it was on Netflix. Um, 
I really like. Yeah, it's none of uh, Classic Who has ever been on UK Netflix. You, you guys were really um, lucky in the US to get some of it on on US Netflix. I really liked, um, which is funny because I think in one of your other podcast episodes you mentioned that not a lot of people liked uh, the Caves of Androzani episode. Um, well, it's it. I mean, but, it's a it's a fan favorite, but I think. Or my, I don't know, maybe so I don't. My friend I don't didn't. My friend didn't like it very much. Your friend didn't like it. Okay, yeah, yeah but I really liked. Yeah, I really liked that episode. Um, yeah, you're definitely not and, alone there. I mean, lots of people okay. talk about it as the the best classic coup story. Yeah, I I liked it, and I also um, I also really like. I also watched City of Death. Um, oh, what an really extraordinary story, right? Yeah. So yeah. good. If they, if and all the classic who was like that, I'd be happy. If all of Doctor yeah, Who in general, I watched was like, like that. a handful of other ones uh, too, but it was so long ago um, mm. that I don't even remember all the ones that I watched. Um, yeah, I mean, also if you if you're engaging your critical fandom brain, then classic who is even more of an egregious minefield than than new. Who. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, that was uh, when watching classic who was pre me like truly engaging my critical fan brain yeah um i watched uh i watched my my watch my viewing in high school um was a lot more uh was was a lot less critical um than i am now um i was a lot uh i guess i was a lot more generous (laughs) towards uh towards different media mm-hmm. um was it kind of uh, university yeah. then that, that taught you to be yeah no it wasn't um a lot of it uh, a lot of it was university um and also just you know um like more as i uh and like more towards like my senior year of high school mm-hmm. um but definitely um Definitely, once I got to college, uh, I started thinking more critically about it. Well, um, I think also just the cultural and, mood has changed as well. I think, you know, a few yeah. years ago, there's so many things across the whole spectrum of, you know, um, race and gender politics and other social social justice issues that wouldn't have even been talked about um, in the mainstream yeah. that, that are being talked about now. Yeah, and it was also... Um, it was also a lot easier to, um, I know this is an oxymoron, but when the doctor didn't have, um, when the, when the doctor only had white companions, it was a lot easier to, to not notice all the mm. ways in which it was problematic. Um, because it, because, because it wasn't re- as relevant to you or well no because the thing is like doctor who has always been uh problematic but the thing is like because when um like when the when the people of color are like more center stage and like and have like bigger roles yeah it's easier um it's easier to see the 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 missteps. So, like for instance, like with Bill, um, like it's like so great that they cast um, 
Well, they, should we should we uh, kind of pause yeah, it here and draw a line yeah. under it and move on to unpopular opinions? Because I feel like we're yeah, yeah, aiming sorry. at that territory. We can, we can, we can go into a popular opinion. I was seeing the conversation um, get away from us and thinking, God, we need to say it's an unpopular opinion. Um, okay, so yeah, yeah, this is kind of the content of what you were wanting to share with me. Um, yeah, so, y- so... Your unpopular opinion was? Yeah, so my unpopular opinion is um, that I think that the shows move towards being um more progressive is just a lot of it is lip service and it's not um it's not actually more progressive it's just putting it's putting more um it's putting more the quote diversity on the screen without like thinking about it critically or like giving it true shape and so for instance like the thing is with having more um like characters of color and um more queer characters like the kinds of narratives and like the ways that the characters are thought about really needs to shift because once there are like once there are people on the screen um like the way that things are seen is just very very different and there's undertones there that like exist and like aren't fully uh, and a lot of it is subtext that isn't fully realized um if it's not thought about critically and so what i was trying to get at is that when there's um like when there's white companions like there's a lot of things that just aren't thought about and are just taken for granted Mm -hmm. um as like not being as problematic but for instance um when like and and so like the thing about bill and like i love her like i love having um a black companion again after martha um who was my who was like one of my favorite companions Mm -hmm. um but like a lot of the thing is is like when you have a black companion um you have to think about how the narrative um is affected by um them being black and like how like like things are different and so you know one of the things about bill is that like in her last two episodes which like as i mentioned like bother me so much the last two episodes of series 10 is like you have bill who's like this wonderful character and like she gets shot in the chest like just for the like for the crime of being human and like you have her like being shot by this person in blue like as a black person and that is something that like has like significance that wouldn't have the same significance if it was a white companion yeah it's like so. yeah it it seems to me that it's not enough to to cast diversely you have to also think about 
what those yeah. characters are doing and how those characters are being treated. And I don't think Doctor yeah. Who has done that enough. I think I agree with you, the Doctor Who's not yeah. done that enough and, historically. And Doctor Who really hasn't done that enough. And then you also have to think about how it's affected by, um, like, when Bill is turned into a Cyberman, mm. she has to, she, like, her emotions are policed because she's not allowed to articulate her anger or any of her upset like the doctor tells her that she's not allowed to be angry and she has to like control all of that because like she doesn't want to like trigger her like cyberman instincts sure and so she and like as a black woman and a black person like she is like inherently dangerous and her mm. anger is inherently dangerous and like that is affected and you know as a cyberman she like gets attacked by um by the people who like she's sheltering with um like she gets shot because mm. like she is just like herself in like as a cyberman and she like react she has to react like calmly and patiently and just says like i understand mm. and like because like it's because of who she is and um you know and she's kept like isolated in this barn like away from the children and like if you think about how black people and queer people are seen as like inherently dangerous and like have to be kept away from yeah. Like, and that's something, and especially because in the episode, Bill isn't always kept in her Cyberman form. Like, we often see her in, like, we see her from her perspective. So mm -hmm. we see her as a black woman being treated this way. And so, like, that is something that, like, has significance and is just really heartbreaking. Yeah, it's a traumatic and image, right? It's very traumatic. And, you know, and I'm saying all this has to do with Bill, but it's not exclusive to Stephen Moffat's era. Like, if you think about even just Martha and her family, mm -hmm. um, at the end of her series, um, her family is literally like, like her mother, sister, and father are slaves to the master for yeah. a year. And it's this white man who is literally called the master and like there's like this horrible scene where like the where like her mother is like forced to apologize and like say over and over that she's sorry to the master and it's just it's so traumatizing and it's so triggering and it's mm -hmm. just like like i i can't watch that episode Mm. without like just being filled with like this visceral sense of upset um and like these are things that have to be thought about when you're like casting black actors and black characters definitely and these like black actors in like they're playing the hell out of these roles mm -hmm. like they're so skilled and so and that's what makes it all the worse because they're playing it so convincingly and so it's so um, yeah, the more convincing incredible. it is, the the more the upset is generated, right? Yeah, and so like I'm not saying that there shouldn't be people of color and there shouldn't be black actors and that they shouldn't be playing these excellent roles because like they 
art, but like, I'm just saying that when these like black characters are constantly like suffering like this, it's really difficult. Yeah. And even in Chris Chibnall's era in the 13th Doctor, in the very first episode, mm. Grace O'Brien, who's this fantastic character she would make an excellent companion like yeah there's this like moment where she just like and she just goes for it and she like in her like desire to protect ryan and when she and graham are like going at it and then she's there's this moment where she's like is it wrong to be enjoying this and graham's like yes and it's like graham is so much not like he has to be forced to become a companion. Yeah. When Grace was already there, she was already everything that a companion should be, and then she just gets completely fridged, at, and she gets killed yeah. at the end of the episode. And her only role throughout the rest of series eleven and twelve is to just be for the character development of Graham and Ryan. Mm. And well, that's the whole reason she exists at all, from my point. Yeah. Of view. Yeah. The whole reason she exists is to be character development for Graham and Ryan, and in particular Graham, mm. because the yeah, it's a weird thing to a... me because Ryan never gets the, um, you know, Ryan never gets those scenes where he's dealing with Grace in the Grace's death in the same way that Graham does, which feels odd to me, because yeah, Ryan's no. surely going through the the same thing, if not more, that Graham is. Yeah, and Graham is a fan favorite because he is the best written character. He is, like, the reason that so many people think he's more interesting than Yaz or Ryan is because he's just better written. Or even the Doctor. He has more, he has more development. Yeah. Like, he is the most interesting of the fam of the four of them mm. because he is, like, he is the center role. And that shouldn't, like... First of all, the TARDIS has way too many people in it. Yeah, and yeah. if they were going to focus on one person, they should be focusing on the Doctor. But that's not it. They're focusing mm -hmm. on this one, like, side character of the companion. Because the companions are side characters. Like, the it's Doctor Who. It should mm -hmm. be about the Doctor. But they're focusing on this one character who is the white man. And like yes, he is the most he is the most interesting character of the four of them yeah. because he's the most developed, and that is a choice that the writers and the showrunner made. And maybe it was a subconscious choice, but it's still a choice that they made. And like I think it's racially motivated, whether or not that's a, whether or not that's a subconscious motivation. Yeah, it is the motivation, and it is something that if it's subconscious. People need to make it conscious and people need For to sure. start thinking about it. Well, my feeling about it is that it is probably motivated both by both race and gender. And that mm -hmm. Chris Chibnall, you know, I'm, I'm not going to uh, spend the episode bashing Chris Chibnall, but I think it's no wonder that he finds Graham the easiest character to write because he is the character that he as a person aligns most closely with. And I think that's, mm -hmm. you know, we can see with this new character of Dan that has been brought in for series 13 it's another man of roughly chris chibnall's age that he can relate to that he's then able to write more successfully than all of the other characters in the cast that he can't so closely relate to and i think that's kind of a problem going back that there haven't been yes there's the diversity on screen often but but behind the camera and behind the scenes there isn't that same 
diversity of of creative people and that's what leads to these things happening like the you know the world enough and time two part that you were talking about i think maybe if there'd been people behind the scenes who'd been able to say oh you know maybe this isn't such a great thing to depict or I'd, I'd kind of um pick that stuff up then maybe that could have been avoided but mm-hmm. because of who Stephen Moffat is he wasn't you know I didn't notice it you know I'm I'm going to be totally honest here like as a white person I was able to enjoy that episode and I'm still able to enjoy it because I don't have that same kind of visceral reaction and I think these things are going to keep happening as long as it's just people that look like me and Stephen that are you know <laughs> recreating these stories yeah, I mean, people write what they know. People 100%. like act out what they know, and so what happens is people need like pe- more people need to be in the writers' room. Like the one of the articles I wrote, like mentions how few there's only been two, like there's only been two, like female like writers of color, and they. Were, and both of their episodes were co-written with Chris Chibnall. Mm. And they were both in the last two, three years, right? And they were both in the last two seasons, one in season 11 and one in 12. Mm. And, like, I'm I'm pretty sure both of the episodes were, like, primarily written by those women. Um, but they were co-credited. Mm. Um, mm. Because Chris because Chris Chibnall had, like, enough of an influence on the episode that he was co-credited with yeah. them. And it's like, you know, it's it's just something to think about. And, you know, like, I just, it's something that I need to consider. And like I said, I love Doctor Who. It is, like, among one of my favorite TV shows. And I just think it's something that, like, I want it to do better like this all this criticism is coming out of a place of like love and like true passion because like Definitely. i want the best for the show yeah what about thin ice i'm thinking about thin ice and the way in which that treats i'm thinking about the way the shakespeare code treats martha versus the way thin ice treats bill that seems like a step in the right direction to me yes yes i, I think... don't know whether you agree um, I definitely think it's a step in the right direction. Um, I think definitely the Shakespeare Code um, and the fact that uh, the fact that the doctor um, just tries to play off like Martha's able to be fine in the Shakespeare Code, like really just grinds my gears so much. Mm-hmm. I like actually. <laughs> Um, back to the fan fiction conversation, I rewrote that episode, um, like in one of my, as a chapter of one of my fanfics, like just specifically so that I could, uh, I could like have like that scene change because (laughs) it bothered me so much. Um, just because like Martha, like the treatment of Martha is so poor um that i honestly think like 10's treatment of martha versus 12's treatment of bill is i honestly think one of the reasons why 
Capaldi is my favorite doctor mm. and Tennant is my least favorite. Okay. And it is solely down to that. <laughs> yeah. Um like I honestly think that 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 is truly it because I think um the way that Capal like Capaldi's Doctor Twelve is like so much more sensitive of the need to protect Bill in that era and the mm-hmm. need for um and the need for like Bill to be careful and like yeah you know like because he's like upfront about the like, the, like yes like there are black people in this time but mm-hmm. like they need to be more careful sure um. And I feel like Tennant is just like really blasé about it. Um, yeah, and I, th- and I mean, I think it's yeah. it's as much for me. It's mu- as much like a difference in writing and production choices as it is mm-hmm. a, a cultural shift. Like thinking about what the mood was around that kind of thing in two thousand six, two thousand seven. That the, the mm-hmm. sense was very much. It was very much a, you know, it's good to be a person who quote-unquote doesn't see color like mm-hmm. we i don't think in the mainstream anyway we'd reached a point where that was seen as a dodgy kind of point of view like it was very much oh it doesn't matter what you look like it doesn't matter who you are and i think doctor mm-hmm. who was trying to kind of parroting that for you and that has dated very very badly oh definitely definitely i think um i think a lot of my <laughs> A lot of my resentment for the Tenth Doctor is definitely because of how dated his a lot of his episodes are, mm. um, which is like sort of unfair because David Tennant is one of my favorite actors, um, which is why it's kind of funny that he's my least favorite Doctor. Um, uh, but yeah, his uh, a lot of his episodes are very dated um, and. Uh, Especially, especially the Martha episodes um, mm. in uh, the Family of Blood and Human Nature. Mm. Um, those, those bother me so much. I just, I can't. The fact that like Martha is taken back into that time and forced in, to be a servant and like, like forced to be in that. Um, like they they could have hidden in any time and the fact that they hid in a time when Martha is so powerless and treated so cruelly by that human version of the doctor yeah um, in a racialized way yeah um, and again it's so unconscious because that story is obviously adapted from the book where it's not a black character that in, is in Martha's position it's Bernie Summerfield and I've never read the book, but there's not by having the Martha character in that position, you are forced to introduce a you know a racial element to that prejudice mm-hmm. and to that mistreatment, and it's like, oh, like we shouldn't be writing ourselves into these corners. Like I don't know. Mm-hmm. And it's just you know I I feel like there's so many, and the thing is there's so many great. Uh, there's so many great Doctor Who books out there too, because um, I've read a lot of I, I've I've read a lot of the 
like EU books as well. Um, and in comics and I, I get that they were like adopting different ones. And I just feel like there's a lot of, um, I feel like there's a lot of opportunity, um, for other direction uh, in other directions to go. Mm. Um, and it also bothered me. Um, it also just bothered me that Martha didn't get her own story. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. like it, that, um, that because the, because that story was adapted from a book, um, it, 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 it bothered me that Martha couldn't get something unique. Like Martha was already a rebound from Rose and yeah. already sort of had that, um, had that aspect of being part of someone else's storyline. Mm. Like she already like went back to new earth, um, and like already yeah. had that. And I just feel like I would have really loved for Martha to have more time to shine. Well, also the Dr. Light story that season, Blink, Mm -hmm. it's almost easy to forget that Martha's even in that one because it focuses on... Whereas other companions, you know, like Donna gets turned left to shine because Mm -hmm. the Doctor's not there. Blink kind of... And again, none of this is conscious, but Blink doesn't allow that for Martha because Sally Sparrow's there instead. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, I really, I was really thinking about, um, the extended universe. Um, uh, I feel like some of the books do a lot better job of, um, of expanding the, these characters that, um, like I, I just really like some of the some of the Martha books and and also the books uh, with with thirteen um, in her fam. I feel like um, mm-hmm. I feel like expand the characters in a way that does them almost better justice than the show. Um, and also, I really like uh, one of the thirteen comics actually fills in what um, what ten and Martha did during Blink. Oh, that's um, cool. Apparently they met thirteen and the fam. Right. Okay. Um. Yeah, I really liked that comic. It's a crossover comic between ten and thirteen. Apparently huh. they met. Um, and so Martha got to meet thirteen and got to meet the whole fam, and I just thought that was a really nice comic. <laughs> That's cool. I mean, these comic the comics are doing a lot of ten and thirteen crossovers at the moment, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. I just um. Yeah. I feel like some of the extended universe does do a better job, but it's also not like it's not the show. So it's not what no. a lot of people are seeing and Definitely it's not, not. Um, it's not what's getting the most exposure. And I feel like that's a yeah, really it's big not comparable shame because it's not, yeah. it's not, it's not comparable. And it's like, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the books and the comics for all that they're great feel to me kind of like they're just fan fiction I have to pay for. <laughs> yeah, well, this is a conversation I had with Johnny Spandrel on my New Year podcast in that mm-hmm. the, the the line between officially licensed spin-off works and fan fiction is bl- ever blurring more by the day, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I noted that conversation when I was listening to that episode and I was definitely thinking about that. Um and it's frustrating because... to me that that 
officially licensed. I mean, it's getting better, but like officially licensed spin-off stuff that the writing staff and the production staff are still largely from this same white male demographic. And it mm-hmm. really feels like, you know, this, the world of spin-offs is an area where we could kind of expand the remit of Doctor Who, you know, with a bit more freedom. And actually it feels very boxed in, much like the TV show to me. I definitely. And I also feel like, um, I feel like so much of, so much of the extended universe being more diverse in some ways might like I don't know sort of like excuse for uh, like I don't know if it actually excuses for some people the fact that the tv show isn't but might be like a way for people to point to being like oh but like the doctor has like this if you like read the book but like a lot of people don't actually read books the read the doctor who books so it's like that's true I don't know but, I mean, historically, like, the expanded universe was always a place for new writers to kind of experiment and, you know, carve out new ways of looking at Doctor Who. And it doesn't really feel like that is what it is anymore. Um, uh, one, one moment that's always kind of jarred with me, I don't know whether it has with you, is in Rosa, when kind of Ryan's civil rights knowledge is, is non-existent and Graham is forced to educate him about it. Well, how do you feel about that moment? Yeah, I I really didn't like that moment and I also uh, I also have a lot of issue with Rosa. Like Rosa really grinds my gears in particular with the fact that it makes it seem like Rosa Parks just randomly chose one day mm-hmm. to like, like, no, like, that was a planned action. Yeah. Like, they planned for months, mm. um, like, year, like re- years, really, like, like, it was, like, putting, putting together the, the bus boycotts was, like, something that was, like, planned ahead of time. That was strategic. That was not a spur of the moment thing. Um, yeah. And what's and alarming just, about it is that compared to some depictions I've seen historically, it was a little better. Like historical depictions I've seen have shown it as if Rosa Parks was this kind of random old lady who just decided out of the blue to do it. Whereas Doctor Who kind of did show us a little bit that she was involved already with the civil rights movement. Obviously, we saw Martin Luther King and stuff like that. But it's you're right that it still didn't do enough. And it's alarming that it felt yeah. like, oh, wow, this is really showing us the truth of it but it kind of wasn't enough it it really didn't show the truth of it and i feel like there was this didn't need to be how they showed um like i don't know i don't write for doctor who and i Mm -hmm. haven't like really deeply thought about the best way to rewrite the rosa episode but i really think that it just, it just really, it really distressed me because the, the civil rights movement is just so much more um, complex than this and mm-hmm. so much, and there was just so much more thought and so much more detail that went into this whole 
yeah action and so is there a sense that doctor who though has to has to simplify things to some level to kind of fit into a 45 minute format and because of its audience yeah 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 i understand that doctor who has to simplify things um and i think if I think it could have. I I think it could have told a uh, a different a different story. I think it could have. I think it could have chosen a different story to tell. Um, I think you know. I I I think it was. I think it was an important episode, and like I do appreciate that it happened, but I do think, like. You know, I think, honestly, I think it was, like, the episode had a weak villain. It, it, it just, it didn't, like, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't like the episode. I thought that, um, I mean, I appreciated the conversation between Yaz and Ryan, because I feel Mm. like that was some of the only, like, development that Yaz and Ryan really got, like, ever. Um... And, like, there were, like, certain things I appreciated about the episode, but it just, it just bothered me for a lot of, um, Mm. a lot of reasons. Um, I think it was, for what it was, it was well done, um, but I did, uh, I did find it, uh, lacking in a few ways, um, and, like, like you said, I did... Like, I did find fault with that moment where Graham was educating Ryan. Um, and it just, it felt like there were a lot of, uh, there there were a lot of issues in it for me. And I think, yeah, um, I think I agree with you that there were doors that were kind of opened that weren't walked through enough. Like, that conversation between Yaz and Ryan was so, I remember at the time thinking, oh, wow, like, that's a kind of, brave thing to do in Doctor Who and like how great that they're talking about that but then it was kind of it was one conversation and it was over it would have been nice to see I mean we had those two characters together for two seasons it would have been nice to kind of see two kind of young people of color talking to each other more and I don't know it would have been nice if the show would engage with that a little bit more obviously Yaz isn't black but there's still going to be kind of tension there and interesting kind of things to explore there yeah, and I think Yaz and Ryan, um, their dynamic was really, was really wasted for a lot of reasons. I think, like, you know, like I said, their TARDIS was really crowded. I think a lot of, a lot of the problems that were, that were created um, by their characterization, I think one of the things that bothered me about them was the fact that they came into the TARDIS like not being close friends I think Mm. that if they'd come into the TARDIS being closer like not like because in the in the show like they hadn't like they were like previously friends when they were younger but didn't know each other well as adults really yeah they were like acquaintances and I think if they had come into the TARDIS as Mm. close friends I think that could have been so a better true. shortcut never into about characterizations. That. Yeah, I like the show think... gave itself loads of unnecessary work to do that because if they'd yeah. already been friends, then it would have just been a case of 
the show revealing that relationship to us over a season or two. Whereas with them not being, and maybe developing it a little bit further, but with them not really knowing each other properly, it, it had two jobs to do. It, it had to reveal that relationship and also build that and relationship. Also develop it that was, relationship. Yeah, it was, yeah. And, yeah unnecessary. And also, I thought it was really unnecessary that they were 19 years old. Oh my god, like, why were they 19? Also, neither of yeah, them are 19 ever. Neither of them are 19. <laughs> like, Mandip Gill is 33 both... years old. <laughs> yeah, they like they were both um like late late 20s, like early like they like they were not 19. It's so evident. And they didn't behave like they were 19 either. They were it's not, not 19. even just like they the didn't behave like they were like 19. Yeah. Like I was so constantly weird. forgetting like how old they were supposed to be, and then every time it was, I was reminded they were nineteen. I was like, "Really?" I mean, I what, doubt they, that. what they definitely should have done. I mean, I have all sorts of these. I have all sorts of little tweaks I would have done, but what they definitely should have done is have Ryan be the age that Tosin Cole is, sort of twenty six, twenty seven years old, and have Bradley Walsh play not his step granddad, but his stepdad. Yeah. Like, why not do that? It doesn't, you know, that makes way more way more sense and makes the relationship simpler and more believable and also oh, i've done this one before so i'm not gonna i was about to complain about the whole sheffield accent thing again but i'm gonna you know ryan's left the show now i'm gonna put that to bed like to your, your listeners i'm <laughs> never gonna p- complain about toasting cole's accent again it's done okay <laughs> um yeah i i i can't speak to accents because i'm an american who can't tell you're, the you're difference lucky though well. you're so lucky you can't tell the difference it is a constant source of distraction i just said i'd never talk about it again then i did i'm sorry <laughs> um yeah but i i just really feel like there are just in like i said like and it's not just a a chris chibnall issue either because there are so many issues with like every every season um Mm. and i truly feel it's just because um like the writers just being over overwhelmingly white Mm. and 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 um are just not used to and not comfortable with like writing characters yeah. Of of color. And I feel like like we should absolutely continue with having this diversity in casting and like it's just there needs to also be diversity in writing. Uh, well, um, both and, diversity in writing and also when the writers are white, there needs to be a sense of they need to have a consciousness about what they're writing. Do you know what I mean? It's both those things. I yeah, think. yeah, no, and there needs to but that's what I'm saying, is there needs to be like a a diversity in um, in all aspects, and mm. there needs to be people who are just educating themselves yeah, and absolutely. thinking about these things. And like, I know that there are um, that there are like script editors, and like that there are people who are working on this in like a collaborative ef- effort. And so I think you know it's going to take like all people working on these things together mm. Mm. Um, and thinking about these things together. Um, I think you're and... right though that it's not a Chibnall issue, but I think it's interesting. It's especially it's an especially interesting issue in the Chibnall era because because it's an era because of the casting of Jodie Whittaker and because it's been 
more overt in its diverse casting and because of its coverage of um you know issues about racism sexism whatever i think that the wrong sort of people have talked about this era being too woke and too uh, uh, and virtue signaling and preaching to its audience and it's mm-hmm. interesting to be someone who looks at things with a critical eye, eye and knows that actually it's not it's not quote unquote woke enough and it's so weird then to see I don't know, I find it a really weird cognitive dissonance to see these diff- differing, th- these kind of criticisms of the Chibnall era that are, that coexist, but are so different to each other. Yeah, and it's like, people are saying that Doctor Who is like so woke in that it's the most progressive or whatever, but it's actually really... Um, really failing Mm. in its wokeness um and it's very um and the way that it's failing in terms of narrative um and causing a lot of stress is like leading to burnout for a lot of people Mm. um Mm. and just because of the community i'm in i've noticed like leading to burnout for a lot of um a lot of black women and um, in particular because like people who are um, who are black and like other POC who are like women, people who are non-binary like myself, like mm. it's like just and because when we speak out like this, we receive such like backlash. Well, people get so and, defensive, don't they? And people get so defensive and it just leads to so much burnout. Um, and it's also it's also a self perpetuating yeah. loop that leads to media continuing to be created only by white people. I think. I think it's like, yeah. you know, you it's not fair in an audience to with the situation that we're in right now. We not with just with Doctor Who, with everything. You know, if you continue to um, write stories and write media that caters more to a, a white audience or does not protect the the black people or the people occurring the the audience from traumatic things like that that um wouldn't have time thing we're talking about that a white audience are able to enjoy that more so therefore you are being exclusionary to an extent by making media like that aren't you and then Mm -hmm. uh, by extension um you know white people are going to be more encouraged to write stuff and we're going to end up in the same situation over and over again for years and that is yeah, it's a it's a <laughs> it's a like perpetual loop. Yeah. Yeah, but that's what makes it all the more important to have these conversations, doesn't it, I guess. Yeah, and it well, it makes it important to have these conversations, but it makes it important to not just have the conversations, but to act on them and to actually do things. 100%. Like we can have a, we can have conversations like all day until our throats are sore and we need and we need to drink tea just to cope. But, like, it it just, and then, but, you know, but if we don't do anything about it, if nothing actually mm-hmm. changes, then what's the point of, like, having the conversation at all? Totally. Totally. Yeah, it's about action as well as conversation. Yeah, it's about, like, actually doing and not just talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Because people can, like, make statements and say that they're going to do things and, like, say that they're going to improve. But if they don't actually, they don't actually act on what they're saying and what they're doing, then, and actually do the work, then, like I said, it's just lip service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just, yeah, it feels like the the statement's worth nothing. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today, Talia. I really appreciate it. It's been um, really great. The only um, last two things I'll say, and I wish I'd had time to get into. No, go for um, it. Go for it. I've that, got all the time uh, uh, Danny Pink and Mickey Smith both deserved better <laughs> in terms of writing mm-hmm. um, and in terms of uh, the treatment they got from uh their white girlfriends and the doctors that their girlfriends traveled with absolutely yeah (laughs) i did an episode on this with um a writer called samantha harden um and she said essentially the same thing we talked about that then and uh, yeah i absolutely agree with you yeah i'm I'm not gonna like restate everything that happened in that episode but i just wanted to say (laughs) they deserved better (laughs) I think it's important to put these things on record, isn't it? Um, but yeah, thank um, you so much for talking to me. Where can people find your writing? Where can people find your social media presence, um, etc.? Yeah, so I am on Twitter as Talia underscore Franks. Uh, that's the same place I am on um, Instagram. Fantastic. Uh, I write on word for sense and other stories is my website mm-hmm. um, which is just wordforsense.com or uh, you can also get redirected there by just going to taliafranks.com um, and I also have a patreon at patreon.com slash taliafranks and uh, I also have a podcast about fan fiction called into the archives which is going to be fully launched in March Cool. Um, and you can get that at just at Archives Pod. On... If you let me know when that's out, I will give it a little bit of a boost on, on Twitter for sure. Yeah, definitely. I will send you the link. And it's just at Archives Pod on Twitter. Fantastic. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Molly underscore Martian. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Galactic Yo-Yo Pod. And you can il- il- Ugh, I can never say the word email in this outro. And you can email me at galacticyoyopod at gmail.com with all of your angry thoughts um, about our podcast. Um, Thank you, everybody. And until next time, (laughs) bye-bye.